Welcome back to the Matrix. We're back again with the technical prophet, the constructor who's always on the bleeding edge of the Matrix and everything else. That's Gabe Ar Gabe Arnold from the uh, I'm going to get it this time, Greg Pacific Northwest National Laboratory. Pretty good. I would have said laboratory, but we'll give it to you. That work? Yeah. Okay. Hey, <laughs> that was a fun chat with Gabe. Yeah, he's he's one of the guys that you'll find out has been at the forefront of a lot of the industry and. And one of the leaders, so it was great talk. Yeah, it was funny because we kind of discovered it by accident that he's, mm -hmm. but you know, he is a technical prophet. So yeah, this is a man to watch in the game. Another company to watch in the game, Greg, is TCP. Not always watch them, be, be part of them. Great yeah. company. Well, the craziest people you know, they've in got, lighting. Come on. <laughs> that's right. They've got a new uh, smart stuff, they call it. It says, imagine if you could curate your lighting throughout the day without ever having to flip a switch. So what we talk about often on this show is, I want it just to be right without having to actually manually do it. They have that capability with their new smart stuff. It's, it can go in all of their integrated in their fixtures, uh, in their light bulbs even, and it can allow you to schedule lighting automatic to the hands-off elegance that you want. How nice does that sound? Elegant lighting. Hands-off. They take Ooh. care of it. The smart that's called, stuff can that's do that smart for stuff yeah you know yeah. it's you know I, it, it's time for a new story you know um i i'll tell you there's something to the that color tuning on its own not having to choose it which excites me a lot yeah just do it for me so that i i, I want it the way it needs to be you, you yeah. pick it yeah we'll lay it down oh, let's go yeah. Yeah, you just let let me let me put in my coordinates, and then you just run with it for a while. Like I feel like that's a move you can make with a customer. I don't know, maybe. Oh, for sure. I'm a sales guy, but it's like I think you need both. <laughs> you need to be able to control it, and then you need to back to override again or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, the capability to say I don't like this, and then you can change it. But at the, at the beginning, I want somebody to tell me how I can have a better day. Make it yeah. that way. Make it so. Yeah, just let it ride. So go to tcpi.com, baby. That's tcpi.com. And, of course, the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. That's naild.org. And for right now, folks, coming in hot, Gabe Arnold from the Pacific Northwest National Laboratory. BNNL. Welcome to the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast, Gabe. Hi, Mike. Say hello to Greg Eric. Hey, Greg. Hey, Gabe. Thanks for coming on. So uh, we, you're the second person we've had on from Pacific Northwest National Laboratory. Mm. Um, might be third or fourth. Might be third? Oh, okay. Yeah. Or the Queen of yeah. Flicker. Oh, there you I forgot. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about her. So, yeah, we like, we like to dip into that pool and pull out and see what's going on. Tell us a little bit about your work there, Gabe. Uh, well, I'm actually fairly new to PNNL. I've been here almost a, a year. I started this past uh, January, and uh, most of my work has focused so far on uh, this study. I, I think it was why you invited me uh, to look at uh, DC lighting uh, specifically and uh, DC building microgrids. I've also been doing some work looking at uh, connected lighting technologies, IoT, um, and, and so forth. And you had worked at the DLC in the past as well? Yeah, that's right. Uh, before PNNL, I was technical director at DLC for a number of years. What did that involve, being the technical director? 
Well, I, I think I, I oversaw all of our uh, engineers and scientists and uh, really setting our technical direction and establishing our specs. That sounds like a bit of a raucous ride over the last 10 years. <laughs> it, it was a good ride. I would call it an impactful ride. <laughs> like, I, How long were you at the DLC for? When did you start there? Um, when did I start there? Uh, 2014 was when I became an official employee of the DLC, but I was involved in DLC really since since they began the qualified products list. Yeah, that see that's it. See, 2014 and that year, you're, those are early days, right? A lot has changed in lighting since 2014. Like it's almost like yeah. a, the industry. I don't know if there's an industry that's changed more than this in, since 2014. Actually, I mean, you go from the energy story to now a health effects story to now a you know other uh, controls and all that. What was it like? To see that from a qual, like to see the products go from say this, you know, on the list, and then adding all the different things that you, you needed to add on to to that as you went along. Uh, I think it was really exciting. I think this is one of the most exciting industries you could possibly be in, and it's for all that innovation uh, that occurred in such a short period of time. And, you know, I was involved uh, really at the, the very outset of the DLC. Um, I don't want to take credit for starting it, but I was uh, the person that showed up to a, a meeting with a number of utilities and said, hey, let's let's collaborate on, on a list. And that was a time where uh, we were just starting to see uh, LED technologies that were real. I think up, up before that point, this was all this was all hype. And I, I still remember the day that uh, we had a salesperson come in from a company called uh, linear lighting fixers, LLF, and they showed us uh, what was called the LR6 downlight. Uh, Cree eventually purchased that company, but uh, I still remember that day they brought that in and showed it to us, and I was like, wow, this is actually a, a real technology, and, and that's really when the ride started. I think uh, it's funny, before that, we used to get excited about things like uh, high-performance T8 ballasts. And, yeah, and baby! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> yeah, yeah, and high-lumen T8 lamps. And uh, We got the 25-watt T8. We came out with it first. I remember uh, a yeah. uh, vendor told me that we were the first ones to come out with the F25, 25-watt 20, F32 T8 or something. I'm like, woo! But now, yeah, yeah I mean, the transformation has been absolutely unbelievable actually if you were to try to predict it yeah so yeah it was quite a ride at, at dlc i think it was uh it was you know there were it was hard probably all along the way and i might say it got a little bit harder in later years probably because of some of the the challenges that uh the industry was was facing out there and uh you know as you were looking to kind of continue to try and and, and move things along to higher uh, quality and performance there uh, it became a little bit harder to to kind of get the support of everybody around those things. Why did you guys, or what made you come up with the idea of the list? You saw an LED and then you saw another one and then you started saying, all right, what's going on here? We got to, we got to come up with this list or where did it come from? Uh, well, we were all kind of duplicating efforts. I think all the utilities were being barraged by all these uh, manufacturers showing us um, all kinds of products most of them were really bad. And uh, it was around the time that uh, DOE was running their, their caliper programs and they were verifying through those reports that a lot of these products are actually 
uh, pretty darn bad. They're producing pretty poor quality of light. They're probably not going to uh, last very long. And so what was happening is each of the individual utilities were attempting to uh, uh, do some validation of the products to make sure that what they provided rebates or incentives for uh, and made it into the customer's hands were actually going to be good products. And and so you had a, a you know, a qualified products list that was forming uh, uh, from you know, Efficiency Vermont, where I worked, uh, with National Grid in Massachusetts and Eversource in Massachusetts and Pacific Gas and Electric out in California. And uh, it, it was it was kind of obvious the opportunity there. Why are we uh, kind of duplicating this effort here? Why don't we collaborate on this? And um, it, it, kind of the rest is history. It blew up from there. So you 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 are good at knocking heads together then? Collaborating, yeah. Yeah. So I wouldn't call it knocking heads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you need someone that can knock heads together. Uh, you know, uh, what are your thoughts? Like, do you, over the, you know, we were in, I was in this thing from 2000 and all the T8s and CFLs and then par 38 CFLs and then all the stuff that happened and ma all manner of rebate programs, direct rebates, over the counter, uh, engineered, custom, prescriptive, all, all different kinds. And, I look back and I, I and I say to myself, you know, there's a lot of things I would have done differently if I had it all to do over again. Like if the industry had it all to do over again, I would have done a few things differently. What would you have done differently? Hmm. Um, that's a good question. I I I, d I don't know. I I would say what I what I would have liked to have done differently. I don't know if it actually would have been feasible to do. And that would have been to try and incorporate more uh, quality at the outset into um, these qualified products list with LEDs. I think, um, you know, there's been a lot of emphasis on lumens per watt and uh, the efficacy. And I think really from the beginning, the DLC and the utilities understood the importance of the other aspects of quality, you know, beyond efficiency in the products that were being promoted. And, and so, you know, we had, um, uh, we had requirements for for CRI and uh, making sure you have good color rendering, and you know we had some requirements for lumen maintenance to try to ensure that the products were going to uh, uh, last or have some level of reliability. Um, I think you know there's all kinds of other aspects of lighting that um, uh, of lighting quality that go into reliability, such as you know like the reliability of of, of the driver of the whole LED luminaire, uh, the, the glare performance. And uh, these are really important issues, and the metrics didn't exist uh, to address them when we first launched the DLC. So, um, you know, one of the things that happened over time is as we continued to drive for this higher efficacy, um, uh, you know, some of the ways that started to be achieved by some manufacturers that, that maybe had less of, less of an emphasis on, on quality uh, would be like, eliminating any glare control or optical control and you'd end up with these sort of glare bombs with exposed LEDs and uh, I think if 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 it was if there was a way to address that at the very outset that would have been a, a nice thing uh, to do early on you know this is something that DLC has been uh, addressing now over the past a couple of years and it's been difficult to kind of uh, kind of come in and make sort of a course correction around those issues after the industry's kind of come so far along. I think part of the problem was you, you had competing. Uh, a lot of people thought that the DLC 
works for the lighting industry, but they don't. The DLC works for the utilities. And so they're coming at it from a different angle in terms of what their end goal was to make sure that, you know, what we were rebating here actually works. I think that's different. That's a different priority than the, you know, um, the other aspects of lighting, some of which you brought up, you know, flicker, glare, um, you know, there's a bunch of different areas where it's, it seemed like the DLC learned on the job and, um, they, they kind of rose in prominence within the lighting industry. And it kind of, I think it kind of felt to a lot of people that they weren't lighting people. They were utility people. Um, is that a fair analysis from the outside? I can see how you'd have that observation from the outside, but you know, having been there, I can say that uh, these issues were uh, well understood by the staff at, at DLC, and certainly a, a lot of the, the staff there, you know, did come from the utility space. But there's also a lot of staff that that came from the industry side of things, and it was really more of an issue of of we lacked kind of the the, the metrics and the science to begin to apply some of these aspects earlier on in the specs. One more question about utilities, and then we'll we'll move on to what you're doing now at PNNL. PNNL. Um, you worked. You said that you were employed by Vermont, the the, the state of Vermont util, electrical utility. Uh, yeah, there's an organization here called Efficiency Vermont that runs all the efficiency programs for all the utilities in the state. So it's one so, statewide org. One statewide organization. Let me ask you, why would utilities pay people to use less of their product? Like, how is it that um, work? How does that work? Like, if, I don't want to pay people to buy less light bulbs from me, you know? Yeah. And I think I've had this question answered for me before, but I've never really fully understood why the utilities pay people to, to, to use less of their products and how do they make up the revenue? Do you know? Yeah, I do. I mean, um, it, it started really as a directive from the regulators um, of the utilities um, who are really charged with um, a utility is a monopoly, right? So there needs to be some some regulation and they're really charged with ensuring that the utilities are delivering the lowest cost electricity to, to the ratepayers in the state. And uh, what happens is as we start to reach uh, capacity of our transmission and distribution power lines and our power plants uh, and we need to upgrade them um, upgrade our power lines or build new power plants that becomes really really expensive to do and it's just getting more and more expensive to, to do these things and it turns out that uh, if you do energy efficiency instead um, you and therefore avoid the need to do these upgrades or build new power plants it's a lot less expensive and so, so that's really the, the driver for it that was driven by the regulators. I think over time, the utilities have all gotten on board with this um, from the perspective of just making sure they're providing, you know, the, the best service to their customers and the best costs. And, you know, they're starting to face some competition as well out there uh, from things like, you know, customers going off grid and so forth. And so, and so, yeah, I, I think today the utilities are all fully subscribed to this model. But yeah, does that answer your question? Yeah, it still makes me confused though, because um, yeah. Ontario's got tons of rebates and way too much energy. Like it mm. never made sense to me. So like Ontario produces so much clean nuclear energy and we have to pay Michigan to take it. 
And like you never famous and gonna take it, or yeah, we have pays to. You a lot no, no, yeah. we have to pay them to take it. Uh huh. Because we have too much of it, we don't use it all. I also heard the the CEO of Ontario Power Generation stand up and say that if everybody in Ontario got an electric car, the cost of electricity in Ontario would go down because mm-hmm. we wouldn't have to pay Michigan and and Upper New York State to take our power. Interesting. I don't. I don't know the situation. I know, but like it's, and then, but then I <laughs> then this is what they tell me though. So we we don't have to build more power plants. And I'm like, hang on, that guy over there just said that we got way too much energy. And the problem is that you know because you can't turn these nuclear power plants off. There's no adjusting them. They're either on or off. And he's like, we got all this clean energy, but you know we we can't use it all because we. We don't have enough people using electricity in Ontario, so we have to pay to get rid of it. And then the other guy over here says, yeah, the whole idea of rebates is so we don't have to build any more power plants. It's like, hang on a second here. What's actually happening? So I was always confused by that. But Greg? Yeah, I mean, I, I, in addition, I, I think there is – they charge for it too. I mean, on your on your bill, they have a resource adjustment fee, and then that's where the rebates come from too, right? Yes, correct. Yeah, so yeah. I think that's part of it too. But yeah, I don't know that there's ever a clean answer, Mike. We've asked that before, and I, I kind of have the same questions too. And <laughs> and then in turn, our, our end users and our customers ask us, and we have to relay it. So we're like, oh, I'll just take it. Take the rebate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't don't right. get too complicated, guys. <laughs> just take the money. Would you take the rebate. your lights? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so no, what, what we wanted to talk, you did a white paper on DC lighting and their DC uh, grid. Before we get in, can you explain briefly? I know this is an intro level, but just there's there's AC power and there's DC power going into a building. Tell us how that works and what you know. Break it down. It's in your white paper here, but if you could sum it up. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, I, I'd almost refer to these as kind, of, as kind of like two different formats of electricity. We've got alternating current and direct current, AC, DC. They're also alternating current. Um, you know, like coming out of your outlet in your, in your home is 120 volts and it's alternating from positive 120 down to negative 120 to positive 120. And it just keeps alternating like that. Uh, whereas direct current is going to maintain if it's 120, positive 120 volts. And they're just two different ways of providing electricity uh, to, to a load. And um, it, th- there's a whole story behind this called the War of Currents. If you go way back, it was Thomas uh, Edison versus Nikola Tesla. Thomas Edison had the DC, Nikola Tesla had the AC. They're competing to see what would light our homes and buildings for the next 120 years. And Tesla won that one with with uh, with with AC. And so that's what's distributed through the electric grid and and through our buildings today. And some would say that uh, there's a, a a resurgence of uh, DC as maybe a better option uh, to distribute power in buildings and through the grid. Okay, and so why? And your paper here says that DC lighting is the way of the future, or is going to be, or where are we at with that? Uh, well, the, I think that's a, a little bit remains to be seen, um, but uh, I think there's a, a lot of benefits to uh, DC lighting. I guess I should probably clarify that uh, all lighting is inherently DC. Really, any sort of uh, electronics, solid state source is going to require DC electricity to operate. And so what we do is we take the AC power from the grid that's in our building and we're converting it to DC uh, at at the LED lights. So within the driver, 
the LED driver, the first part of that driver is a circuit that converts the AC power in to DC that the LED actually uses. And I read in your white paper here that that's the majority of the issue with LED life is, is a driver. And, and you did a test, a DOE study. Can you explain that, the results? Yeah, um, there was a DOE study. Oh, it's probably a couple years old now. Um, that did uh, some accelerated stress testing of LED drivers. And what they found, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but um, uh, what they found is that um, all the failures or the majority of the failures occurred on the first stage of the LED driver, which is the circuitry that takes the AC power and converts it to, to DC and also conditions that power um, to make sure that you've got a good power factor and, and a total harmonic distortion. Um, and, and, so, uh, and so the idea is that if you can eliminate that, um, that conversion circuit and, and an LED driver, for example, well, there's a few things that you can get. Number one, you can uh, potentially uh, have less expensive drivers because you don't need that circuit, but you can also eliminate kind of the weak point in your LED, which is often often uh, the driver and, um, and that particular circuit. Just to clarify, it's the numbers. I want the numbers. Hang on a second. Just, I just want to say something. Gabe's like a technical prophet. He's on these, like, he's always on the forefronts of these movements. You know, it's like lighting. And now you're like on the forefront of this whole thing. I got a ton of questions, but I, I'm going to go back over to Greg because he's getting specific. Yeah, just clarifying the numbers for the listeners. It was a LED driver. So you did a stress testing in 6,000 hours and 64% of the drivers failed. And all of them was because of that uh, stage one driver circuitry from AC to DC. So 64%. It's a huge number. Yeah. Yeah, right. Not surprising, right? I, I, we've maybe right. heard, of, maybe you've read about this or, or not, but that that circuitry has an electrolytic capacitor in them, and those are the things that often fail within the drivers. Le electrolytic capacitor. Okay, so yes. Now, Ontario's covered with these giant steel monsters. They have lots of lines on hanging from them in there. Like Ontario has miles of this stuff out there. Where are we going to, like what you're saying is we're going to stop converting to DC at the socket and we're going to start converting to DC where? I or are you going to, are you going to get know. rid of all the AC grid? Like, is it going to come in from the grid at DC or is it at some point converted? I don't think so. This is not something that's going to happen very quickly at all. Um, if it does happen, I think there's absolutely going to be certain niche applications where DC takes off. I don't think um, changing the grid to DC is anything that's going to happen any anytime soon. I think where the real um, promise or potential of this technology, maybe where it provides the most benefits, is where you've got uh, PV, uh, solar panels on your building, and energy storage batteries, which we'll be seeing more and more of. And the reason for that is because uh, your PV panels are generating DC electricity. Your uh, energy storage batteries are storing DC electricity. And if we wanted to power our, our lights in our building, the way we do it today is we take the DC from our PV panel and our battery, convert it to AC to run it through our building, then back to DC at the load. Every time we do that, yes. we're, we're losing energy. We're introducing failure points. We're putting in equipment we don't need. So let's directly connect these things. You, you know what's hilarious is that 
the Ontario did this whole solar microgrid thing where you could set up solar panels and get paid way more for the energy than the cost of electricity. Like 10 years ago, they did this. It was a, de it was a debacle, but um, it ended up being a debacle. Debacle. I don't know how you pronounce debacle, that. Debacle. Yeah. Debacle. Okay. Debacle. I don't know. Whatever. It ended okay. up being a big debacle. And uh, you know what's funny? I was talking to this guy who did a lot of it, and he goes, you know what? If it wasn't for the damn inverters, well, solar panels would be great. The inverter is what changes it from DC to AC, right? And he's like, shit, yes. man, we're changing inverters all the time. They're constantly blowing out. So this whole idea of converting from AC to DC or flipping from Edison to Tesla back and forth just seems like a whole bad idea. It, it, it makes no technical sense. The only reason <laughs> we're doing it is because that's the way we've done it for uh, 100 years. So. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So mm. hopefully we can make some headway on that. And I think, you know, lighting is a great application to start with. It's not the only DC load in the building, but I think it's a good application to start with. It's interesting. You, so all, you, see, all, you also plug, sorry, Greg, I'm so excited yeah, yeah. about this. You're also like always plugging in all these adapters and my kids fighting about adapters all the time. That's to convert from yeah. AC to DC, Greg. Stop the fights. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Direct connect. So are you seeing a lot of, uh, results with buildings actually going to dc lighting i know there's product out there and i know there are applications but i don't know of any locally that i've seen mike have you seen anything with dc lighting yeah so i i met a guy um who uh was like a off-grid kind of dude and he had solar panels and uh, and uh um windmill and uh, like he had battery, he had he was running batteries. He had these um, lead acid batteries, a shed full of lead acid batteries, I think, or something. I don't, they looked a lot like car batteries to me. And he ran his whole house off the grid. And then if his backup was like a propane generator, and so he was converting all of his plugs to DC and all. He's like, can you get me any DC only lights? This was like five years ago, actually. So he was ahead of the game, and he wanted to convert his whole house to DC because, yeah. So I did. That's the only yeah. time, though. That's the only time I've ever seen it. I told him I didn't know where to get anything. So I said, no, I'm like, I don't know where to get that stuff. But <laughs> so, but now is it available, Gabe? Is it widely available? Uh, it's becoming more available. Um, I, I would say it's still a niche application and still people that are on the, the leading edge there that are, are trying it out. I think there's one particular type of, of DC lighting that's, that's gaining out there, which is uh, power over Ethernet. And, um, uh, you know, we don't have any um, numbers on exactly how much of that is being installed, but uh, indications are that uh, it is gaining some steam out there, and there have been quite a few installations. We've got some anecdotal numbers just talking to the, the manufacturers that are um, playing in that space. And I think one sign of it is just looking at... Uh, uh, you know, I think in our paper, we identified that there are 17 uh, lighting manufacturers that are now offering uh, their luminaires with PoE as a, a standard option. And, and one thing that's telling about that to me is that it's not just startups in that list. And we've got some big players that are in the PoE space offering their luminaires that way. Uh, it's Cree, Signify, uh, Hubble, uh, H.E. Williams. Uh, Amerlux, you know, plus a lot of other smaller companies in there, and and uh, you know, hopefully those those big companies have done their homework and they're seeing uh, uh, the market there and and the installations. But you know, I think that's one that's potentially got some uh, uh, potential for uh, greater adoption here. 
uh, you need to sort of caveat it though. So, so PoE, um, while it's it's taking DC from a, a PoE network switch and distributing that to all your luminaires, the PoE switch itself still accepts AC. And so there's a little bit of an evolution that needs to happen there to connect PoE to uh, to, to the PV panels and the batteries by, by making those switches have a, a DC input. You know what sound that sounds like? Um, and just like, that sounds like there's going to be a ton of early adopters that get burned. Like, I just, I hate to say that. Like, I, you, you know, a POE lighting system, if you called Premier Lighting and said, hey, Greg, I need to replace this uh, POE lighting two by two in my uh, office. I got it five years ago or four or three years ago. I don't think anyone's going to be able to have an answer for that. And, and so I think it's, I think it's, a, it's a, uh, and I don't mean to be overtly critical. I wish the POE guys all the best, but I think that there's long-term trouble for in replacement parts, maintenance components, stuff like that in that space right now. How do you feel about that? Well, I think anytime you're adopting new technologies, there's a risk like that. And there's a, a reason they call it the bleeding edge and not just the, the leading edge. And mm-hmm. I think there there probably is going to be some of that. And, you know, usually what you'd recommend is that uh, uh, you, um, you know, maybe stick with some reputable manufacturers who will stand behind their product over time. But even then, there's probably going to be a risk uh, for, for, for what you described. So now to to do this, let's take a, a building that's existing. My building right now, I have all I have AC power coming in, AC to everything, then it converts to DC back and forth, whatever. How do I make DC lighting in here? What would I have to do? Um, it, it depends a little bit on the type of DC that 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 you're doing. Um, if it's a, you'd probably well. If you're doing a, a PoE lighting system, then you'd need to basically run new distribution, Cat 5, 6, or 7 cable to all your light fixtures from some sort of central place where you've got your uh, PoE network switch. There are other types of DC out there that are um, you know, running 48 volts from some central hub out to their light fixtures. In that case, you might be able to reuse some of the existing wiring. I know there are some systems out there that en- enable you to do that. I think that uh, you know, really, the the opportunity here though is going to be more focused, at least in the near term, on new construction applications rather than, than retrofit. Yeah, more cost effective. Anytime you got to replace wiring, you know, that's going to add a lot of cost. Does yep. DC have a live and a neutral? I don't know. <laughs> Just you know, like how uh, they, you know what I'm talking about. You have the white and the black, or whatever. Does it have that as well? Yeah. Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there's a neutral load, and then so then when there, people are doing this, what is the advantage? Like, what is the business case? So someone comes to, let's say, Apple wants to build a new facility, and lighting guy walks in. He goes, "You got to go. PO, yeah, you got to go POE. Clear. You got to go POE here. Like, is there is there clear advantages to power over Ethernet? Yeah. Um, let, let me just clarify. You can have a neutral. You don't always have to have a neutral. You'll have a positive, a negative, and you can put a neutral in there in there as well. Um, okay. So that's not always not always the case. Uh, but the, the advantages to, to POE, um, number one, um, the, the manufacturers are all claiming reduced installation costs. And I think that's probably real. And it has to do with the fact that POE and really a lot of these DC systems are using class two 
uh, voltage as defined by the National Electric Code, and that's below 60 volts DC. And when you get down to that level, um, all of a sudden you don't need to run all of your wiring and, and conduit. And uh, all of that conduit that we put in buildings with line voltage wiring that, you know, we've got to route through the buildings, we've got to support it, you've got all the fittings and terminations, and you've got to pull all the wire through it. That's a lot of cost and material and steel and also time to do all of that with PoE, with low voltage DC wiring, uh, that can be eliminated in most jurisdictions across the country. So eliminating all that conduit, that's, that's a, a big cost savings. There are also arguments made uh, that you don't need an electrician. Uh, that may not be true probably in most jurisdictions. We've done some follow-up research on that. And you know, you probably still would have an electrician in, in most places run the cable. So that's not really what the savings are. It's really the time and material savings of eliminating that conduit. There's a couple of other benefits. One is that you can, um, you know, when you're in that class two, you can run your power and your control and uh, together. Uh, the electric code doesn't allow you to do that, do that with line voltage. Sure. Um, and the third benefit is going to be integration um, with other building systems because uh, PoE is using this uh, internet protocol, TCPIP, uh, which a lot of uh, other systems will use over time, and that's going to enable us to develop smarter buildings. It's kind of this conversions. Sometimes you hear of ITOT, uh, information technology with operational technology, our, our buildings, for whatever reasons, have, have continued to be analog for so long. It's kind of mm. like bringing them into the, the digital realm. The uh, energy saving story, too, there's a 10 to 18% for going to DC lighting from AC lighting. You know, just in looking at it, how do you how do you quantify that? Or how do you know what the actual wattage is of it? Like, you have an AC light that says it's 100 watts. Is the DC automatically 85? Or is it going to say 100, but it's only going to use 85? Or how does that all work? No, out yeah, that, that's actually really is more complicated. I'll, I'll try to explain it. But that 10 to 18% savings is really only in the microgrid scenario where you've got your PV and your batteries and you're eliminating those two conversions uh, mm. between between your sources and, and your loads. If you've, if you've you know, there's, there's really arguably there's no energy savings or little energy savings just by using DC over AC. And, and there's a recent study from California Lighting Technology Center that, that looked at this and and uh, you can look that up and you know they found uh, that there really wasn't any, any energy savings by uh, centralizing your AC to DC conversion versus doing it all, all, all of the loads. So it's, it's not really a, an energy saving story by itself. Uh, DC lighting. It's really a, a system energy savings uh, opportunity. You know what it sounds like? You know what's interesting when you talk about it, you're describing it. It's like this. So I still think the lights that I like the most are halogen. I love the way halogens dim zero to 100, like you have a dimmer on the wall. And yeah, LEDs can dim, but nothing dims like a halogen and the warming of the halogen and the way it smooth, perfect dimming, right? And so that was like, AC goes directly to light bulb. What you're saying is DC goes directly to light bulb, just like AC used to do before we started getting all complicated, right? Yes. Yeah, no, exactly. Good analogy. Yep. Yeah. Huh. So let, let me just, I want to I wanna throw something back at you because I actually own an electrical contracting company. And so what's interesting about 
a lot of people, when they talk about this, it's like this whole idea of lowering the installation cost because this is not considered, you don't need to run the cable inside conduit. Kind of, They kind of sound like they're getting away with shoddy work, you know, because the wires aren't in the pipes just for like fire reasons. It's actually a good way to, you need to organize wire in a building and protect it. Like whether they're de it's the only reason to protect it is not just shock. It's just super inconvenient if a wire breaks somewhere in the ceiling. Right. Mm -hmm. And so these, these wires are shielded so that, you know, someone's up on, on the ceiling up there doing something, hanging something from the, the, the T-bar of the, they jab it, it bounces off the conduit. It doesn't pierce the wire. So there's other reasons that you want wires really heavily shielded in a building. It makes it like safer for the wire and then you don't have all these hassles of broken cables. So that, I, I don't buy that part of the argument. But what I do buy, Greg Eric, about this POE, what I do buy is this is how we get into the matrix. This is yeah. how the, because that's all data cable, right? That's all data transmission cable. You're going to have one more conversion point at the end of this, Gabe. And that's going to be when the, the information turns from whatever goes through cables into Li-Fi. And then the entire interior space is the internet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's what's going to happen like with it. that. Mm -hmm. I hope so. <laughs> what? Are you crazy? That That's happens. so scary, man. <laughs> That's so scary. You're actually going to be in the matrix. <laughs> you understand? Like it's good. There's going to be, they're going to be able to transmit information back and forth through the light. Yeah. That POE. Ones and zeros flowing through the light, basically. Yeah. 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 So, Gabe, Woo! you think this is uh, <laughs> something that's going to take off then? DC lighting is a ticket or is it going to stay a niche? I think that uh, BOE's got some momentum, is going to gain some adoption. How much remains to be seen? You know, there's studies predicting that's going to go exponential. We see a lot, lot of these types of studies. Um, the other types of DC, um, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens there. You know what, though? I, you've seen it happen once before, Gabe. You know, if you go back to 2009 and everybody says to you in 2020, there's going to be no Philips G or Sylvania, there's going to, they're all going to be out of lighting. And, uh, you know, this adoption of LEDs will be out there to this point. You would have said, nah, that's not possible, but it happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. I mean, this transition's harder, but, but, but yes, the LED transition was big and it was disruptive, but it was a little bit easier, right? Swapping out just a, an old light source for an LED source, that was easy to do. This this type of change impacts not just the, the product you're installing, but it's also the practices. of and, and so there's a lot of changes that would need to occur there to really disrupt the industry at this level. And uh, I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm just saying it's it's harder. It's probably going to be a little bit slower, but I'm optimistic that we'll get there eventually because I think there's a lot of benefits. I think that um, circadian healthy is going to collide with POE in a beautiful, gorgeous explosion. That's mm -hmm. what I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gabe, <laughs> thanks for being a guest on the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. Thank you for having me. It's good to talk with you. Smart stuff from TCPI.com, Greggy, smart stuff.
Smart lighting made simple, it says. And that's Ooh. the issue right now with smart lighting is it's not simple. But TCP's got the ticket to make it that way. Schedule your lighting, hands-off ambiance. Pair with the remote for the most control and flexibility you want. Easy install and setup. It's got it all. It's new. It's hot. Check it out. Go to tcpi.com. The craziest people in lighting always cooking up something. And this one, this one sounds like a bit of a game changer, Greg Eric. That's right. Coming in hot with a smart lighting. Something to be aware of and be ready for. And do. Whoo! National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors, NAILD.org. That's nail.org. That's right. Get associated. You know, if you, we're, pretty soon we're not even going to let you listen to the podcast. That's what we're really going to do to you guys. <laughs> so don't join. We're going to shut you down. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course. We love you guys. All of you. Nail members or not. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Written on the rectory wall, there's a sign there for all. If you are lost, Lord is there to find you.